This is the Hasidic Story Project with Barack Holman, podcasting from Jerusalem, Israel. This podcast is sponsored by listeners just like you. To become a supporter of this podcast, please go to HasidicStory.com. H-A-S-I-D-I-C Story.com. You'll never know. You'll never know. You'll never know. You'll never know. Shalom Aleichem, my sweetest friends. Another week, another two Hasidic stories. But before we begin, I want to dedicate this episode to the continued success of our soldiers in Gaza, on the Lebanese border, in Yehuda and Shomron, in Tel Aviv, and wherever they are. May Hashem bring them success and keep them safe from harm. And bring a refuash lima, complete recovery, to everybody who's been injured. A returning of all the hostages, Bezat Hashem, healthy whole and complete, the comforting of those who lost loved ones, and Be'ezat Hashem, the continued unity of the Jewish people. The first story I have for you took place on a beautiful autumn day. As the leaves were falling, Rebbeinish was riding in his wagon, and even though it was a beautiful Ukrainian day, the birds singing and the weather crisp and cold, Rebbeinish was miserable and angry. He kept saying to himself, I can't take it anymore. And he would hit his fist on the bench of the wagon. Again and again. Hashem, why? Why me? Why? Why are you making my life so hard? But there was no one around. It was just him and the wagon. He was on his way back home after taking his daughter to another doctor who wasn't able to heal her. And Rebbeinah, she thought to himself, you know, people said I was a genius, I was a Torah genius when I was younger, and I could have been a famous rabbi or Rosh Hashiva. I could have done something with my life. But for the last 10 years, he had to take care of his daughter, who was perfectly healthy one day. And then when she was in her early teenage years, just all of a sudden, she stopped talking. She didn't want to eat. She crawled behind the stove. It wouldn't talk with anyone or even move. She wouldn't allow people to wash her. She had to be fed. And to make matters worse, Rabbanish's wife insisted that he take care of their daughter half the day, every day, and she did the other half because she didn't trust anyone else. And so because he was taking care of his daughter, he didn't have time to be the great scholar that he was destined to be. And Baruch Hashem, he was blessed with money because he had inherited property from his parents and was able to rent it out. And he used a great deal of money to go to doctors, trying to get his daughter to be healthy again. They traveled from town to town, sometimes even from one country to another, looking for the greatest professors and specialists who could help her. But after all the time, energy, and money that they had spent on their daughter, no one could figure out what was wrong with her. And Rabbeinish knew only Hashem could help. But even that didn't seem to be working. And so over time, Rabbeinish became a little depressed. He did try to sit and learn Torah, but he couldn't concentrate. And he was ashamed to be seen in public. And he couldn't stand to be at home. And he was just in this cycle of frustration, things not working out for him. And then one day, a guest came by their house. And he noticed their daughter sitting behind the stove. And he asked, what's the deal? And Rabbeinish and his wife, he said one day, she just crawled behind there and she didn't want to leave. She doesn't want to eat. She doesn't want to bathe. She doesn't want to talk. We spent a fortune going to doctors all over the place. 
We can't seem to find anyone that can help her. We've been davening, saying Tehillim, giving tzedakah, pleading and asking for Hashem to heal our daughter, but to no avail. She stays right there all the time. So this guest who had traveled quite a bit, he said, listen, my friends, I see your situation is really desperate. Permit me to make a suggestion. There's a great tzaddik, a Baal Mofet, a miracle worker. His name is the Baal Shem Tov, and he can heal your daughter. If anyone can, the Baal Shem Tov can. Consider it. It might be your only option. Now, Rabbeinish, he was a misnagid. He outwardly and passionately opposed the Hasidim, and he wanted nothing to do with the Baal Shem Tov, who he considered an idol worshiper, in the complete opposite of what Judaism is all about. Rabbeinish didn't want to hear any more about the Baal Shem Tov. So he forced a little smile and thanked his guest. And as soon as the guest left, he started banging on the table again. I don't want to hear about the Baal Shem Tov. But Rabbeinish's wife, her eyes were looking out the window, and she was lost in thought. And she says to her husband, you know, Bainish, maybe it'll help. He said, what do you mean, maybe it'll help? She said, well, you know, we've tried everything. We spent a fortune trying to heal our daughter. I know what you think of the Baal Shem Tov. But maybe, just maybe the stories about him are wrong. Maybe he really is a great tzaddik. And Rabbeinish, she says, what are you talking about? I don't even want to hear the name mentioned in this house. He is an idol worshiper. He's not even a Jew. Rabbeinish's wife stared him straight in the eye. And she said, but Bainish, our daughter. And Rabbeinish, he lost it. He said that man is a fake. He's a liar and a cheat and an idolater. All those miracle stories that people tell about him, they're all a bunch of lies. I know. I have my sources. People have told me that he's a big fake. What does he think? He's Eliyahu Navi, Elijah the prophet? I'm going to take our daughter to an idol worshiper like the Baal Shem Tov. And again, he bangs on the table. And with each word, he says, I will not give our daughter to idolatry. But Rabbanish's wife, she kept her calm. She said, my sweet husband, I've heard that he's a miracle worker. I have my sources also, and my friends tell me he's real. And anyway, we don't have any choice. You've gone to every doctor, anywhere we could find. You spent a fortune on it. I want you to take our daughter to the Baal Shem Tov. And he said, no, I won't do it. So she said, fine, I want a divorce, and I'll get half of your money, and then I'll take our daughter to the Baal Shem Tov and get her healed. And when I come back, you won't have a home to live in. So Banish said, fine. If that's the way you want things to be, I'll take our daughter to the Baal Shem Tov. But it's on you. He's a liar and a fake. So having no choice, he bundles up his daughter, who couldn't even walk, carries her to the carriage, puts her in the seat, hitches up the horses, and takes 10,000 rubles in order to give the tzaddik, the Baal Shem Tov, some money, a pidyon, to heal their daughter. And here he was again, driving through the Ukrainian forests to Mezhibuz, totally against his will. And he was shouting in the forest, Why, Hashem? Why me? Why do you have to make my life so hard? Why are you making me go to an idol worshiper like the Baal Shem Tov? People say he can do miracles. I say he's a big fake. And it took quite a few days to get to Mezhibuz. The riding was very slow, but finally the town was in sight 
And he reaches the marketplace in the center of town, and he noticed that every time that he asked somebody, where is the Baal Shem Tov? They had a big smile on their face and eyes that could show how much they revered and loved the Baal Shem Tov. But Rebbeinashi ignored that. He was just focused on getting to the Baal Shem Tov and getting this over with. He parked outside the window and left his daughter in the carriage, took his 10,000 rubles, went to the front door and knocked. He thought to himself, well, I might lose 10,000 rubles, but I spent a lot more on doctors, and at least my wife will be proven wrong. The door was opened and he was invited in, and one of the Hasidim asked him what he wanted. He said he was here to see the Rebbe regarding his daughter, who's very ill. The Hasid asked him to sit down in the waiting room. And as he's waiting, he thinks, well, I have come to the Baal Shem Tov. I could just go back to the carriage and go back home. And my wife would never know. And I can tell her he's a big fake. He tried and he failed. And he's debating with himself how much longer he should stay, constantly looking at his watch. But then the Baal Shem Tov's door opens. He's invited in and the door is closed behind him. And he's standing face to face with the great Rebbe, the Baal Shem Tov. Rebbeinashi thinks to himself, for a tzaddik and a miracle worker, it doesn't look so special. He did admit that the Baal Shem Tov had special eyes. But it was nothing to get excited about. Rebbeinash decided that if the Baal Shem Tov was really a great tzaddik, and he was everything that everybody said about him, then he didn't have to say anything. And he takes the bag of money a huge amount of money, revealing golden coins, 10,000 rubles worth, and he drops it on the Baal Shem Tov's table. And he says to the Baal Shem Tov, here, take it. Let's see if you can heal my daughter. She's in the carriage outside, and she's sick, paralyzed, mute, insane, incapable. Let's see what you can do. The Baal Shem Tov, he takes the bag of money, lifts it up, looks at Rebbeinish in the eyes, and says, I don't need your money. And then he gets up out of his chair, opens the window, and throws the bag out the open window into the street. Rabbeinish was freaking out. That was 10,000 rubles. The Baal Shem Tov just threw 10,000 rubles out the window? And people are going to just steal it? He was so shocked he couldn't move. The Baal Shem Tov in the meantime went back to learning. And then all of a sudden, Rabbeinish hears the voice of his daughter yelling, Tati! Tati! Come quick! There are gold coins in the street! Rabbeinish, he runs out of the Baal Shem Tov's house. And what does he see? With his own eyes, his daughter had jumped out of the carriage and was picking up the gold coins and putting it in her dress. She looked at her father and said, Tati, look at all the money I collected. Someone threw it out the window. And I'm taking it all for myself and for us. Without even saying a word to the Baal Shem Tov, he went and helped his daughter pick up as many coins as they could. And when he felt like he got most of the coins, he tells his daughter, quickly get back in the carriage. Let's get out of here. Before the Baal Shem Tov says it was a miracle and he wants his money back. And the whole way back, the daughter is healed. She's normal. She's sitting like a normal person. She's having conversations with her father. And he's trying to figure out how is he going to explain this to his wife. And when they get back home and she sees her daughter walk out of the carriage and say, Hi, Mama. She almost fainted. She says to her husband, Banish, what happened? He said, the Baal Shem Tov, he's not a miracle worker. His wife says, what do you mean he's not a miracle worker? How many doctors did we take her to and nobody could heal her? 
and here she's healed. He said all he did was take my money and throw it out the window. It's a good thing we gathered as much as we could and got out of there before that fake says to me he wants his money back. But from that point on, even though it was hard for Banish to admit, he knew that the Baal Shem Tov was an incredible miracle worker. When the Baal Shem Tov did miracles, he didn't do it for himself. He did it for people like Rabbeinish, who had they had the faith in Sadikim, they would have simply come to the Baal Shem Tov and asked him for a bracha and not needed a miracle. But sometimes people are so stuck in their ways of seeing the world that a tzaddik or a Shem has to do a miracle for them to pull them out of their darkness and into the light. I have another story for you. Arya was the son of the famous great Torah giant, Rabbi Yaakov Yoshua, who was the author of the work Pnei Yoshua. And when his son Arya reached the age of 18, his parents were overwhelmed with offers because everyone wanted their daughter to marry the son of such a great scholar and rabbi as the Pnei Yoshua. Many times, in older times, the way the Shaduchim, the matches, would be made is that a boy who was a great scholar would be set up with the daughter of a wealthy family. And the wealthy family would support the son-in-law in learning Torah, and then they would have Torah and wealth. And this was a common practice. So, of course, a scholar of the magnitude of Rabbi Yaakov Yoshua, every wealthy family wanted their daughter to marry their son, Aryeh. And they assumed being the son of such a great scholar. Aryeh himself was also a great scholar. But the truth is that he wasn't. He actually had a very hard time learning. It seemed like he never studied any Torah. And what he did, he couldn't seem to remember. He was a very simple boy. No special talent, really, in any area. But he was a likable fellow. And people really enjoyed being around him. As far as Arya was concerned, it wasn't easy to be the son of a great rabbi. He often found himself in unpleasant situations where people wanted to ask him Torah questions, deep, intricate questions, but he couldn't answer them. And again and again, people were disappointed in Arya because they expected him to be a great genius like his father. Now, it's true that when Arya was a young boy, he had shown great promise. Many people remembered that he had a photographic memory back then. And all the Torah he learned he could remember. But when he was still very young, around 10 or 11, something happened. And from that point on, no one ever saw him studying Torah. And it seems like his photographic memory had disappeared. Because anytime he was asked a question, he didn't know the answer. But the Shadchanim, the matchmakers, they were not deterred at all. Everyone wanted Aryeh as a son-in-law. And nobody ever imagined that he really was that ignorant. And they didn't even do their research, because with a father like the Pnei Yoshua, everyone just assumed that his son was a genius as well. And eventually, one of the matches from the Shadchanim was accepted, and the girl's father, who was a wealthy Torah scholar, was overjoyed, and plans were made for the wedding, and gifts were exchanged. And a few days before the wedding, the groom's family set out to the girl's town, where the wedding was going to be taking place. And all of the important people in town came out, of course, they knew the girl's father, who was a Torah scholar and a wealthy person. And it wasn't every day that there was a match like this. 
the daughter of such a distinguished family, with the son of the Pnei Yehoshua. The two families met, and the future father-in-law, he looks at Aryeh, and he brings up a certain Torah topic, wanting to hear his thoughts. It didn't take long to discover that Aryeh had no idea what his future father-in-law was talking about. He was the furthest thing from being a Torah scholar, and the future father-in-law didn't understand it. He asked him another question, and Aryeh couldn't answer that either. It seemed like Aryeh could barely even read the Hebrew alphabet, and the future father-in-law thought it was unthinkable to allow his daughter to marry such an ignoramus. And immediately the wedding was called off. It was embarrassing for everyone, the Kala's family and the Chatan's family. And the Pnei Yoshua and his son set out on the road to go back home. And they were both embarrassed and humiliated by what had happened. And on the way home, they stopped in the town of Berzin. And they were greeted by the rabbi of the city, whose name was Rabbi Yechiel Michal Halprin. The rabbi was very excited to have such a rabbi like the Pnei Yoshua come to his home and also with his son. But Rabbi Halprin could see on the face of the Pnei Yoshua and Aryeh that they were very distressed. And he asked them what's going on. And the Pnei Yoshua let out a deep sigh. <sighs> and then the Pnei Yoshua begins to tell the whole story. We had many offers for our son. We decided to take this offer. And when they met my son and they saw that he wasn't such a great Torah scholar, they didn't want the match to go through. And Rabbi Halprin, he's looking at Aryeh. And he notices there's something about the young man that's more than meets the eye. And he says to the Pnei Yoshua and Aryeh, My sweetest friends, I have a daughter whose name is Rachel. And she is a God-fearing, pious young woman. And it would be our greatest honor if you, Rabbi, agreed that your son would marry my daughter. And the Pnei Yoshua says, Please bring her out. And Rachel and Aryeh, they sit and they talk for a few minutes. And they liked each other very much. And the next day, the Pnei Yoshua and Aryeh and Rabbi Halprin and his daughter Rachel agreed to the marriage. And all of a sudden, the depression that they had from the wedding being called off was gone. And within a few days, the wedding took place. And the two of them were set up in a home near the chief rabbi of Berzan. And the truth was, many of the people in town did not understand the Shidduch. They couldn't understand why their rabbi, who was a great scholar, would allow his daughter to marry such a simple ignoramus. And about a year passed, and Aryeh, he would spend his days, people didn't know where and exactly what he was doing, but he certainly wasn't sitting and learning Torah. And people just accepted that Aryeh was an ignoramus. And that was that. Of course, he would come to shul and daven three times a day. And one day, Aryeh is in shul for Mincha, for the afternoon prayer. And he sees there's a big uproar in shul. There was a heated argument over a certain Torah point. And the two sides were really going at it. And Aryeh could see that there was a lot of tension in the shul. So he says to somebody, what's going on? What happened? But nobody paid any attention to Aryeh because they didn't even expect him to understand the question that was being argued over. And so Aryeh goes to somebody else and says, what's going on? What happened? The guy says to Arya, there's no point in explaining it to you. You're an ignoramus. You don't understand any of these things. So Arya kept going around. What are they arguing about? What are they arguing about? And the argument was getting so heated that it seemed like one side might beat up the other. And finally, Arya finds somebody who explains it to him. He said the rabbi had posed a very deep and complicated question during the morning Torah lesson. And no one could come up with an answer. And then Aryeh, when he hears the question, he says, why can no one come up with the answer? It's very simple. And everyone says, oh, really? 
an ignoramus like you is going to solve the problem? And he says a few words that quickly solved the problem. And everyone was so silent all of a sudden that you could have heard a pin drop. Arya answered in such a simple and brilliant way that everyone was astonished with the answer. But even more so that it came from Arya. And now his secret was out. and There was nothing he could do about it. At first he tried to pretend like it was a mistake. And he continued faking being an ignoramus. But by mistake, or in order to save there being violence in the shul, Arya had decided to reveal himself. And from that point on, people were always asking him questions. And eventually they made him the local Rosh Hashiva. And over time, he published his own great work of Torah explanations that was called the Pnei Arye. And then nobody had any question why Rabbi Halprin agreed for his daughter to marry the ignorant son of the Pnei Yoshua, because he could see somewhere in his soul, somewhere in his eyes, that this Arye was not what everybody thought that he was. And so, my sweetest friends, we never really know who somebody is. You might come across a very simple Jew and think, what's the point in engaging him in a Torah conversation? But you never know, my sweetest friends. That very simple Jew could be a great tzaddik and a great scholar like Reb Aryeh in our story. And so the easy thing to do, my friends, is just to treat everyone with respect and never get to the point where you would say to somebody, why bother? In Be'ezrat Hashem, everyone will merit to find their right zivug, their right match, and to grow on the Torah learning and doing mitzvot and acts of kindness and the merit of the great scholars like the Pnei Yoshua, Pnei Aryeh, and the Helege Baal Shem Tov. Thank you so much for listening, my sweetest friends. I want to thank all of the new contributors to the podcast and all the people that sent in cups of coffee and one-time donations. Thank you so much for your support and for your messages and your emails. And keep on writing me, my friends. It means so much to me to hear from you. And it really inspires me to keep going because every week I somehow squeeze in the time to record and edit this podcast. 
It's because I know that you're listening and you reach out to me and you support me. So thank you, my sweetest friends. Keep on listening and keep on sharing and keep on dancing and keep on singing until the day comes that you realize that you never actually fell. Zai my sweetest friends. Have a good Shabbos and a beautiful week.